Okay, we're going to go right into um, our, our passage here, um, but before we read it, I want to ask a question, and uh, I do want y'all to answer out loud, but um, I was trying to think about when, give me, give me examples of when mystery is a good thing. So think about it for a minute, and then I want to hear what you have to say. When you're dating somebody, interesting, Dave. Can you can you <laughs> can you share more? What's what what makes it a good thing? Doreen moves in mysterious ways. Yeah. Okay. That's a great example. What else we got? When's when's mystery a good thing? Film. Film. Tell me more. Yes, love that. Yeah, it's like you don't know the story, so it's engaging you, it's pulling you in. What else we got? Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Tell me more, Stuart. Uh, I, I mean, it's a fun game to guess what I got. This was more like a thing when I was a child. Come on, and now. What, okay, who, who tried to find their presence when they were kids? Raise your hand. You guys are weird. Like, who, like, who, that would be the worst thing ever to find your presence? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah, any other, when's mystery a good thing? Anybody else? Knock-knock jokes. Absolutely, man. <laughs> knock-knock jokes are a thousand times funnier when they're mysterious. <laughs> Come to our house. You, you get your fill of knock-knock jokes. Um, yeah, you know, there, there are a lot of places in life where mystery is actually a, a really great blessing. Um, but if I actually look at how I live my life, I'm trying to erase as much mystery as possible. Like, I want to be predictable. I want to know because I don't want to be disappointed because I don't want to be hurt. Um, the world can be a scary place. I don't like mystery in a lot of uh, situations where I think it could be painful. Um, and so if we're not careful, if we're not actively thinking about this kind of stuff, it's, it's hard for us to uh, differentiate and we find ourselves just um, kind of moving toward numbness, kind of moving toward um, wanting everything to just fit and we know what's coming and it's predictable. And inevitably in every circumstance, when, when I start living that way, um, it makes my life really shallow and really boring um, and really dissatisfying. But I'm so addicted to knowing and feeling like I'm in control and being able to, to, to prevent things or ensure things that um, it just gets me stuck in this like really uh, addicted way of living that's not even satisfying. And so I'm kind of living in this no man's land. And so Jesus, um, in our passage today, our passage today is, is chock full of mystery. Um, but he is coming to bring mystery to us as a gift, helping us to, to re, uh, approach how we think about mystery and the unknown and say, Hey, this is actually a gift. And I want to open you back up to receive it. And so, um, who's reading our passage this morning? Thank you, Laura. Um, as Laura's coming up, we are going to be in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. So if y'all want to turn there. 
And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd among them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them had said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciple, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Father, uh, we come into your presence this morning and um, we do not ask you to take away the mystery. Uh, we, we try to do that too many times. I try to do that too many times. Um, try to explain everything away. And um, that's not... You're, that's not your will for us. That's not good for us. So Lord, we, uh, we don't ask that you would take away all mystery. We do ask that you would um, move us and change us and transform our hearts in the dead places where we just live uh, day in and day out in unbelief and numbness and distance from you. We ask that you would come and, and set fire to those places, um, that you would come and wake us up and that you would awaken us to our desires, to our pain, to our uh, need and that we would run to you, Lord, that we would bring uh, everything that we have to you. And so, Lord, use your word in powerful ways this morning in ways that we uh, can't even understand or explain, Lord. You, you uh, certainly have given us an intellect to, to know and understand, but you have also given us souls uh, that are deeper and you can touch us directly in those places. Uh, and we don't have to, we're not the gatekeepers. We don't have to understand and control everything for it to, to happen or to matter or to make sense or to be effective. And so, Lord, we ask that you in your power would come in whatever ways you want to, to each individual person in this room this morning um, through your spirit, uh, through, you, through your, um, who you are for us, uh, Jesus, the one who has given himself, uh, who has died and risen and will never die again and who dwells in us, Lord, would you uh, do your good work in your name, amen. Yeah, so no mystery whatsoever in this passage, right? Um, 
So we, uh, we talked about demons last week uh, in, the, in the passage that we were in. Uh, this series we're in is called Be Curious, and it's, uh, it's really Jesus inviting us to see him for who he is as he encounters people who have never encountered him for the first time. Uh, and to see uh, that often, almost every time, maybe every time, uh, people are very surprised when they engage with Jesus when they engage with the real Jesus and not stories about him. And the same is true for us, separated by centuries from Jesus' uh, life on earth in a physical body. Um, We are surprised when we encounter the real Jesus and not just stories we've heard about him. Uh, When the Holy Spirit comes and wakes our heart up and, uh, and awakens us to the reality of who he is. And, um, and so in this passage, we have another, uh, issue with, uh, demon possession, Um, and we're not going to go deep in the weeds here, but I just want to say this. A lot of times, um, when we get into passages like this, um, there's a a thread of of folks that say, um, well, you know, we just didn't have a name for these things. Clearly this was epilepsy. And like back then they were so dumb, they thought it was demon possession. Um, well just remember, uh, Jesus is the one who is talking about this, right? Okay, so if Jesus is the one who's talking about this, Jesus is not an idiot. Jesus was not trapped uh, in time. Uh, Jesus is the one who flung everything into place. Uh, He was the word of God who spoke creation into existence. He formed the human body. He formed all creation uh, through his infinite wisdom and majesty. And so if Jesus is saying, um, this is a demon, Jesus knows what epilepsy is and he knows what demonic possession is. So this was a demon. Um, But now what we do learn from this, and this is going to be the the end of my little footnote on uh, demons for the day, um, is that this demon was operating in such a way that it looked like epilepsy. And so um, a good thing for us to carry with us is um, we don't know for sure what's going on with people when we encounter people who are having a hard time. And we can't point definitively to any one thing to say this is a medical issue, a physical issue only, or uh, a mental, emotional issue, or a spiritual issue, or it's a combination of all of the above. We don't know. Uh, We don't have to know because we're not in charge. So um, we just want to start there. But uh, what's happening is Jesus, this, this passage comes right after uh, the, the story of the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus takes three of the disciples. Um, <laughs> I was going to make a joke there, but he takes three of his disciples. Don't know why it was those three and not all 12, but um, he takes three of them up to the mountain and they see him in his glory, at least to some greater extent than they were able to before. And so they've just had this amazing encounter with God and with Jesus, um, a more glorified Jesus. And then they come down the mountain and they are, when they come back to the other nine disciples, they are met with this scene is the best way to put it. Uh, There is a crowd, there is a melee going on. There's um, all sorts of arguing and people it's loud and it's confusing. And so Jesus steps into this moment and he says, Hey, what's going on? And, uh, this man, this father comes up and says, um, Teacher, I brought my son to you. Um, And essentially he's saying, I was hoping that you would be able to heal him, but I brought him, you weren't here, your disciples are here. They said, don't worry, we can take care of this. Um, And they were not able to cast out this demon. And so something that's important for us to know, if you're not familiar with Mark's gospel or if you've forgotten, um, three chapters earlier, we read that Jesus has given his disciples authority over demons. He has given his authority to his disciples and says, now you go and cast out demons. And it says that they did, and they did quite a bit. 
So his disciples have had experiences. They've been given the authority from Jesus. That authority was not taken back. They still had it. And they had been going out and casting out demons in Jesus's power and Jesus's authority. And so here, um, that's why this is particularly interesting um, and maybe even a little mysterious is um, they were seemingly doing the same thing that they had been doing. And for some reason, it didn't work. And so this father is standing here with this son um, and he's saying, I've brought my son to you and, um, and your disciples weren't able to cast out this demon. And then uh, look at Jesus's response. Jesus says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Who is Jesus talking to when he says that? I think the answer is everyone. (laughs) Everyone who is there. Um, And when he says this, um, he is saying, this is a whole generation of people who don't have uh, the appropriate faith in God who don't have the appropriate reliance on him, who don't live um, and and seek him and move toward him and engage with him and and believe what is true about him. Um, There is something wrong with this entire generation of people, including my disciples. There's something wrong that needs to be righted that is a, a weight on Jesus that is painful for him in his love for these people. Um, How long am I to bear with you? That's what that means is like, how long am I to endure with you because I love you and carry this weight? Um, And so Jesus is saying, he's alerting us uh, and them to this, this is an issue. Um, This faithlessness is a very, very, very serious issue um, that he has come to do something about, no doubt, but... um, that that's where, that's where we need to, our attention needs to be drawn to the faithlessness of these people. And so um, what, is, what is behind this issue of faithlessness? So we're going to start first with, with this father. So verses 20 to 27 here, um, it says that, uh, you know, we, we learn more about this dad. And, and I just want you to think about this. I want to humanize this dad and bring him off the page and into real life because this is a real person. Um, this man, as he tells Jesus later, um, from, from early childhood, basically from as long as, as my son was able to express these issues, um, probably as like a toddler, um, he has had a demonic spirit that has been possessing him, that has been seeking to destroy him. He, and it, and it's, it looks a lot like epilepsy. Um, he he's, has seizures. He foams at the mouth. He falls down. He rolls around. His body seizes up. And, uh, but it's not only that. It's also that it's, it seems to happen more or exclusively when he is around things that can kill him because this evil spirit is trying to kill him. So when he's around water and he could drown because he's having a seizure and falls in the water, when he's around fire and he could fall into the fire and not be able to get out. So imagine Imagine being this father, okay? Imagine for years being the father of this son and first of all, just watching this happen to your son all the time and think about how painful that is. Think about what's that like for this father to constantly be on guard and have a low to medium to high grade anxiety all the time that if I or someone who knows the situation is not constantly with my son, 
he might get destroyed by this evil spirit that is living inside of him. So just, just put yourself as much as you can in that place for a moment. But then also think about this dad who is going about his life in worship. He is, he is a part of this culture that's worshiping God. What do you think that does to a person when you spend your uh, entire fatherhood, um, as I imagine, probably seeking to find ways to bring healing to your son, and so far, nothing is working? Like if you were to go ask this man about the goodness of God, what do you think he would say? And so uh, Jesus, Jesus calls this man to um, bring the son to him. And it says they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit sees Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy um, and, and started doing his thing. And um, all I could think about when I read this this week was uh, one of our sons, when he was like one and a half, uh, we, we told him not to touch something and we kept having to tell him not to touch the same thing over and over again. And we left the room and when I came back, he was touching this thing and I said, hey, and he turned around and saw me and panicked and then immediately touched it like a thousand times because he knew he was about to never get to touch it again. <laughs> Um, so I, I imagine that's kind of what the, the demon is doing here is like, oh no, it's Jesus. I'm about to be toast. So I'm going to do as much as I can right here in these few seconds before he does something extremely terrible to me. Um, and so Jesus, now think about this. This is now we're like in full on action. Like this boy, all the things that this dad says always happens to this boy when the demon attacks him, it's happening right now. Like there, it's, it is happening before them, before this crowd, before Jesus. And um, Jesus does not immediately go to healing this boy. Like he is watching this terror, not, I don't know, it's probably not for him terrifying, but really sickening display of evil working to uh, destroy humanity, working to destroy the, the beloved son of this father. And Jesus, uh, his next move is to ask the father almost like a, a diagnosis. Like how long has this been happening to him? Like he's having a conversation as this is happening on the floor in front of him. And that's when we hear from the father, man, it's, it's been happening uh, as long as I can remember, essentially. Um, and he, he is always trying to cast him into fire and water to destroy him. And then after he explains and walks into this uh, pain of, of thinking about his, his whole life like this, um, then he, he says, but if you can do anything, but if you can do anything, uh, please have compassion on us and help us. If you have this power in you to stop this, then would you please stoop down in love and compassion and exercise it for us? For me, for my son, would you please do something? He says, if you can do anything, and of course, in a second here, Jesus picks up on that language. But I want to just stop here for us and say, it's easy for us to live in this place. To where we are coming to Jesus saying, if you can do anything. And it's easy to get there because you haven't done anything yet that we can see. 
We've had this thing going on, this whatever it is. Think about all the things that Mother's Day brings up. A myriad of things are particularly needling on Mother's Day for a lot of people. And it's like, if you, I'm saying if you can do something because this has been going on and you haven't done anything about it. So that's why I'm saying if you can. And I even brought my son to your disciples. Like I made this trek. I walked through this crowd. I was praying the whole time. Please don't have a seizure right now. Please let's just get there without any trouble. And I get to your disciples, the guys that I've heard all these stories about, and they can't do anything. It doesn't work. Oh, and by the way, what about all the other things that I see in the world that are going wrong and all the pain that I experience and all the pain that everyone else around me experiences? So it's easy to get to a place where he and we are talking to Jesus in the hypothetical, right? If you can do anything about this, because all of my experience says you might not be able to. And then Jesus is like, if you can. You know, it's easy to, to read that um, without really thinking about this dad. But there's, there's a way that you could read this and think about this dad and be like, that's pretty harsh. Like, whoa, whoa, hold on, man. If you can, let me tell you who I am. He says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. It's like, woo, okay. Now we can go down a really dark road here, right? What's Jesus saying to this man? Is he saying, you know, if your faith was better, you know, you wouldn't be having this problem. Maybe, is that what he's saying to you? In your problem? Well, if, if you just had a little more faith, um, don't come to me and act like it's my problem. You're the one with the problem. If you just believe more, if you just had a stronger faith, then you wouldn't be having this issue. Has anybody ever told you that? <laughs> Have you told yourself that? Have you read stories like that and come away with that? Well, let's... let's pause on that thought for a second and, and just continue into this passage here. Um, one thing that Jesus is doing for sure is he is highlighting our faulty default, which is I am trusting my eyes and my own understanding more than I'm trusting the words that come from God's mouth. C.S. Lewis in his book on miracles has this beautiful uh, reasoning where he's like, you know, so much reasoning against miracles is that we don't see them happen. Like that's kind of the whole definition of miracles. You're not going to see them happen very often, right? Uh, and if I, if I walk through life basing everything on my understanding and my experience of what I have seen happen, then I'm not going to believe that very much is possible at all. And that, but that's a very easy place for us to find ourselves. That is, that is our default um, apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in us as I begin to base my belief in what is possible and what I've seen and experienced and not in who God is or what he says in his word. And that right there is the fight of faith. Am I going to believe my eyes and my mind or am I going to believe what he says? 
And this word believe is, it's to believe something to be true and worthy of being trusted. It's like reliance. Um, and so when Jesus says all things are possible for one who believes, what is he saying? Like possible for one who believes what or how exactly? Is he saying here, um, it's believing that exactly what I want will happen whenever I want it to? Is it believing, is it having faith in my faith? I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but really functionally, that's, that's how I believe most of the time. It's like, is that God's asking me to have faith in my faith. If I can just work up enough emotion, if I can just say it loud enough, or I could work up some tears, then it's like God's kind of falling asleep and that'll, that'll get his attention. Is it believing that God can only love me if he does exactly what I tell him to do? There are a lot of pitfalls in taking this statement from Jesus. Or is it believing that Jesus is full of power and love for me? When Jesus makes a statement, um, all things are possible for one who believes, it says immediately the father of the child cried out. And, and, and really what the language there is getting at is almost like an ugly scream. I mean, like with tears and just, it's like this explosion of, um, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, what do you want from me? My son is rolling on the ground. I have lived a whole life watching him be tormented. Like, sure, I believe. Will you help me? Like, I don't know what you want me to do right now. I don't know what you want from me. But I want this to stop. I want you to show yourself to be good and powerful and do something about this. So whatever you want me to do, whatever hoops you want me to jump through or tap dance or say or some magical words, like I'll do it. But please just help me. Have you ever had a prayer like that? I have. I had a lot of them. But what he, what he says here is, is beautiful, and it's this beautiful picture of faith. He says, I, I do believe. I do believe something. I do believe that you, you are somebody that is significant. I believe that you are somebody who um, has abilities and a wisdom and a love that I've never experienced in anyone else before. I do believe there is something to you. I do believe that you are good, um, but also help my unbelief. Help me in the places that I don't and that I have a really hard time um, squaring what you say with what I see and what I experience. And that word for help is assist, is to supply what is lacking in me. It is run to the cry, run to my cry and bring aid. And that is a very apt theological statement because I can't work up belief. I cannot work up faith, and you cannot work up faith. That is not something that we have the power to do. And so this is a beautiful picture for us of, um, I do believe something. I, I do have some faith because you've given it to me, and now I'm standing before you saying, give me more, because there's still a lot of things that I have a hard time believing about you that you say are true. And so he is standing in front of Jesus saying, um, please, help me believe more. 
And this coming to Jesus with our faith and lack of faith, that is the belief that Jesus is talking about. It's whatever it is, it's taking it to him. Wherever I am, all the things that I do believe, all the things I don't believe, it's just packing it all up and taking it to him and dumping it all out at his feet and saying, you have to sort this out because I can't. And guess what? Here's some really good news. Whatever that was, whatever faith that was, was enough, right? Because Jesus heals this boy immediately. And so I want to read, I just feel like uh, we need to camp here for just a second. I want to read this passage from the uh, chapter one of James um, that talks about faith. It says, it's James 1, 5 through 8, if you want to go back to it sometime this week. But um, we need to square what James says about faith with what Jesus says about faith right here, because scripture does not contradict itself. And so James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, that sounds like a higher hurdle than what Jesus uh, just took from this man. How do these two things make sense together? What James is saying in this passage, let him ask in faith with no doubting, is, is not um, let him ask in faith with, uh, with no doubting as to, to whether Jesus is going to do the thing that you're asking him to do. And it doesn't mean that you're a double-minded uh, man or woman uh, who, is, who is not going to be able to receive anything from the Lord if you have any questions or any doubts or any weaknesses. That is not what James is saying. James is saying the same thing that Jesus is saying, which is um, when he says being double-minded and having doubts, it's, it's being double-minded and having doubts about who Jesus is. It's like, are you really the savior? Are you really the son of God who, who has power and has love and, and wants to hear from me and will engage with me and will keep these promises that you said you will keep? That's what he's talking about. It's, the, it's not the amount of our faith, it's the object of our faith. Do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Yes and no. But it's what I do with the yes and the no, which is to bring them to Jesus, which is ultimately the only thing I can do. And to say that is faith. And, and that faith is not what James is, is speaking down to here in this passage. James would applaud that and say, yes, that is faith because you cannot do anything more than that. You cannot work up more faith. Jesus has to do that for you. And so please, brothers and sisters, take solace in this passage, that no matter how weak your faith is, um, it is enough. Jesus can work with that as long as it is faith in him and not in yourself or in your circumstances or in some other uh, promise of a savior apart from him. But if your faith is in him and you bring everything to him, even your doubts and your unbelief, you can rest assured that he hears you, he loves you, and that is faith that is powerful enough to move mountains and cast out demons. We come to him with everything, even our unbelief and doubts, and that is faith. 
And so we're not done here. We're, we're, it's, it's so wild, this passage, because, you know, just so many questions. Jesus sees the crowds coming. He apparently doesn't want this to be a spectacle, and so he quickly heals this boy with no other conversation with the dad. And then that's just done. So I'm like, so many questions about that. But then it says that he goes into a house with his disciples. And um, like I would, the nine waited until they were in private because uh, they probably had enough arguments and uh, failures in front of everybody else. And they said, um, hey, why could we not cast it out? And so in both Matthew and Luke's account of this passage, they have an answer that's a little different from this passage, which means um, probably that all of this got said, but that's what they chose to write down. It says, Jesus' answer was because of your little faith. Like, what? <laughs> like, we just heard from this dad who said, I believe, help my unbelief. And you're like, great. And then the disciples are, whatever they're doing, trying to cast out this demon. He's like, no, nope, not enough faith. It says, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What? Like you just said, because of your little faith, and then you said, if you have enough, is the tiniest thing that we could imagine. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And guess what, y'all? I don't know exactly. And I think that's on purpose, because this is not something to figure out and master, because this is Jesus. And we are not gonna figure out and master Jesus. We're just gonna follow him. And we're gonna let this mystery be a gift to keep pushing us toward him more and more and more. But what I think uh, is a possibility of, of something that was happening in the disciples is that um, they were doing what I do often, which is to uh, put their faith in their own faith. And it kind of, it's this swing from, kind of like we talked about in the men's retreat for the guys that were there, the swing between pride and shame back and forth is like, hey, I've been given by Jesus authority to cast out demons. So there's this pride and independence of, oh, don't worry, we got this covered. Um, and then when it doesn't work out, then there's this shame and, and fear of man and failure. And it's this whole pendulum back and forth of me. Just a lot of me, a lot of focus on me, very little focus on Jesus. And when Jesus says in our passage, what's recorded, this kind of demon only comes out by prayer and fasting, or it says prayer, but uh, some manuscripts had fasting as well. Um, I believe what he's getting at there is um, this is not, this is a lifestyle of dependence. It's not, a, he's not talking about like a one-time magical prayer. He's talking about a lifestyle of prayer that you are in relationship with him, you are hearing from him, you are following him. Um, Jesus is not giving them, nor is he giving us these magical powers to just um, take care of circumstances in our lives that are painful. He's leading us into a deeper dependence on him. And so we end in this mystery um, where, where Jesus is having mercy on us by not relieving our suffering until we're able in his power to handle it. Think about this. For the disciples, for us, um, I actually can't handle no suffering. Because in my state, my current state, if I have no suffering, then I'm gonna run away and be totally independent from Jesus. So like my suffering is severe mercy from him. 
And I have to trust because I'm not the one in charge and I don't fully understand that he is allowing the suffering he's allowing me to experience because he loves me. And because in in his economy, it's necessary for what he wants to do. And that's a gift. So um, here's what's true. We always have authority in Jesus over evil spirits. We always have the power of God living in us and available to us. God always hears our prayers. God always loves us. He loves us in Jesus completely and forever. And we are invited to pray for big and bold things. um, And Jesus will answer us as he will. So this man's son was healed. And we also have in scripture all sorts of people praying for things that they pray for and God answers it immediately. They pray for a very long time and it takes a long time, but then he eventually answers. And then we have people who pray for things, including ourselves, and they don't happen or they haven't happened yet. And so what do we do with this? Well, just remember, uh, Paul, who's deeply loved by Jesus in 2 Corinthians said um, he was suffering terribly with something and he pleaded with God three times, please remove this from me. And God said, no, no, because I love you. And think about John the Baptist. He was suffering terribly in prison. So things were so bad that John went to, uh, he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, um, hey, would you just ask Jesus if he really is the Messiah? Because it's not going well. And I'm starting to think that he's not. I mean, imagine that. And when his disciples go to Jesus and ask that question, Jesus says essentially, yes, I am, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What he's saying there is um, blessed is the one who trusts me in what I'm doing. Yes, there is a lot of suffering. Yes, John, you are suffering terribly, and guess what? I'm about to suffer terribly beyond your wildest imagination. And blessed is the one who is not offended by God's plan and how he wants to work things out in the world and in your life. And then, of course, Jesus himself. Jesus never calls us to anything he is not willing to first experience. He says, when he's praying in the garden as he's going to the cross, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Please do anything other than this. And the answer was no. So here's the difference between our father and the father of this passage. Um, They were both in anguish over the suffering of their children. They were both full of love, but our father has power. He has a power that that father didn't have. And in his power, he sent his son to break the power of evil over all of his children who were enslaved. That's you and me. And the difference between The son, Jesus, and the son in this passage uh, is the son in the passage who was being tormented had no power. Um, And he was, the evil one was trying to cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But our Jesus breaks this power of evil over all of us by being overcome by the evil one and being thrown into the the deepest waters and the the, um, hottest fires. Um, We get this from Isaiah 43 too. It says, when you pass through the waters, God's people, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame will not consume you. Why? Because it consumed Jesus in our place. In scripture, waters is this picture of like evil or chaos having its way. And fire is this fire of God's judgment. And he's saying, I have taken all of evil and chaos into myself and it has been judged 
by God's judgment once and forever, and so you are free. You never have to fear waters nor fire because you are in me. He breaks the power of the enemy. And so now in Jesus, we are free to ask and get a no. We are free to try to cast out demons and fail. If you get one thing from this, uh, know that your God loves you and it is not about you. And you can bring anything and everything to him. It's not about having a certain amount of faith or having faith in your faith. It is taking everything to the one who is worthy of putting our faith in. And we let the mystery, the sadness, the fear, the anger, the pain, let it all drive us to our Jesus who is our life so that he can give us something better than what we're asking for. He can give us himself. And so right now I want to ask um, my friend Lindy to come up and share how the Lord's been doing that in her life. Um, when Matt asked some of us to prayerfully consider sharing our experiences around the umbrella theme of being curious and the subsequent sub-themes, I knew right away that the Lord was asking me to share, but it took me about a week to confirm my participation because I did not, and I do not, want to talk about my story in front of 100 people. Uh, this is the place that I feel the most exposed and vulnerable in my faith journey. Uh, but I also feel so strongly that when I open myself up to transparency and vulnerability, it becomes a mutually beneficial avenue to allow my own fears to be reduced in power and weight, uh, while also hopefully giving space for other people to say, me too, and feel less alone in their own stories. Um, doubt and unbelief has colored so many aspects of my faith story. Trust and faith are not my spiritual gifts, I've not doubted the existence of God or his power and authority, but rather doubted his love for me. Um, and doubting his love for me has been hugely informed by long seasons of waiting. And I've waited in every area of my life, uh, in healing, in my career, uh, but the place that I've wrestled with God the most is in my singleness and the desire to be a wife and a mom. Um, Sometimes I look back over the length of my wait in the singleness desert, and it is a desert for you uh, that I'm sure some of you recognize and realize if you're also a Christian in the dating world, uh, but it literally makes me catch my breath. Um, I absolutely have an advanced degree in how to be a bridesmaid and never the bride, and <laughs> how to host baby showers and be an aunt and not the baby mama. Um, I do think I'm complex enough to hold opposite emotions, uh, like joy for others and sorrow for myself, but it's also caused me to be so suspicious and accusatory and just have a super bratty, entitled attitude towards God. Um, and I don't want to be the kind of woman who allows my circumstances and fickle emotions uh, to determine whether or not I believe God is good and loving. So even though this storyline has brought me to pruning within an inch of my faith life, it's also taught me how to lament before the Lord of the universe and how to fight the good fight. Um, I've learned to get around the word of God and let the word get around me, uh, to train my mind in truth so that even though I don't fully understand who and what God the Father is, I can more easily understand who and what he is not. 
Um, I've engaged in biblically-based counseling that has given greater perspective to consider a bigger story of healing and redemption that is at play. One that has me asking questions like, are you a good father? Do you love me? Am I even lovable? Uh, what's the assignment for me here in this never-ending season? Where am I placing my hope? Um, and spoiler alert, uh, it's absolutely been misplaced in outcomes, timelines, people, and my own ability to make things happen, um, which shout out to my fellow performance-driven Enneagram 3s out there. I see you, and I know you're tired, too. Um, <laughs> um, but this is not a storyline that's wrapped up with a bow. It's messy, and I have to actively work out my faith with fear and trembling. But I know God does not settle for my relief. He, he wants total redemption. Um, and in his kindness, he's placed me in good company with a whole bunch of my personal heroes of the faith, who also had to wait a long time for a promise to be fulfilled. Paul, Abraham, Sarah, Elizabeth, Zechariah, Hannah, Moses, Elijah, Mary. And it's allowed me to know him more fully in my own lack. Um, to invite me to stop my endless striving to be acceptable in the eyes of the world and to be emotionally still and steadfast and pray the promises he has spoken over me rather than the problem. To look not to what is seen, but rather what is unseen. Randy Drawn always says the supernatural surrounds the natural. And Romans tells us that hope that is seen is no hope at all. So where I've landed and how God has met me in my doubt and unbelief is that I know that I know that I know that there is a harvest of righteousness that believers get when we do not give up. So I press in and press on. God is producing an eternal weight of glory in me that I simply cannot get any other way but to wait for it. And to find peace with God, I continuously have to confess how offended and hurt I am by what I perceive to be inaction and care on his part in order to allow him to supernaturally surround me in ways that make zero earthly sense. Um, and to know that Imperfect progress is still progress. So the fact that there are any days and weeks at all that I can genuinely say, though he slay me, yet I will praise him, and that it is good for me to be afflicted, for I have pressed in and known your statutes, is a grace to me. Father, um, thank you. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for Lindy's um, testimony to who you are and your faithfulness to us and what it is to walk alongside you and let you lead us. Um, Lord, would you please, please continue to do this work in all of us. Lord, would you give us a deep hunger for you? Uh, all, use everything and, and press us toward you. Lord, don't allow us to numb out. Don't allow us to try to have this shallow life of of the illusion of control and to settle for things that are not satisfying. Lord, would you please um, continue to break us free and lead us to more life in you because you are our life. Um, so Lord, as we, as we close in worship, um, Lord, lead us, lead us in worship. Amen.